0: Ruge u kan ge lal myertal hudgite zi ukoi mok he Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who invent them. I'm William Anis, and that's it. We're in the middle of the holidays, and so I'm doing a short episode. This particular episode is because the words of wisdom I offered at the end of our last episode on Cherokee, George thought was a bit cryptic. And it was, so I thought I would talk a little bit more what what I mean when I said, think about things discontinuously. So... Let's start with the idea of a lexeme, that is sort of the base unit of meaning. Um, Most of us are used to thinking of lexemes as being identical to words or to roots and stems, but what I want to talk about today is expanding that definition out to include um, things that are not glomped together, or things which are across multiple words. In general, I think conlangers as a whole are big fans of agglutination. We like big words with nice, clear derivational processes, and we produce big words to address gaps in meaning. Nice, tiny little words. Um, But I want to talk about ways to, to get out of that habit a little bit. So the first example of discontinuous um, meaning or discontinuous lexemes um, occurs in German and Dutch and probably other Germanic languages. Um, And those are the separable prefix verbs. If you've not had high school German, then you don't know about the wonderful verb such as ankommen, which means to arrive. That's composed of two elements, an and kommen. Only the common part is actually a verb. Um, It gets conjugated, and in a normal declarative sentence, the prefix part gets shunted to the end of the phrase. Sie kommt an. She's arriving. Or you can slam pretty much anything else in the rest of the clause goes between the verb and the separable prefix. Sie kommt sofort an. Um, Another verb is anfangen, which means to start. And you can say, ich fange mit der Arbeit an. I start the work where the meaning, start, anfangen, has been spread out into fange, blah, 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 an. Um... And then there are different things happen in different tenses and different moods, and we don't need to get into that. You can find lots of information about separable prefixed verbs online because many American and British students have nightmares with them. Um, English phrasal verbs are a little bit like this, but they're more constrained. I can say pick him up at the store, but I can't say pick him at the store up. Or not normally do I say that. I mean, a disfluency might produce something like that. So... Getting a little further afield, the recent episode on Cherokee had verbs where the meaning of the verb um, was not simply in the verb stem, but was combined with the verb and some pre-pronominal affix way off at the far left end of the verb. So the normal uh, template is these pre-pronominal things, of which there are several and you can mix and match them together, the conjugation marking for both subject and object, then the verb stem, and then aspect and tense marking. Um, One example was the verb for sing. It sure looks like, based on what the grammar said, that you always have to use a distributive sense prefix when you talk about singing in Cherokee. The Apachean languages, that is that particular branch of the Athabascan family, do this in abundance. Navajo is my favorite example. There's a hundred plus of these prefixes, and they tend to fall into different slots, so you can get piles of them. Um, very similar to Cherokee, just much more abundant. Bunches of slots, prefixes for subjects and objects, which occur in funny different ways depending on what kind of subject or object they are, and then at the very end is the verb stem. And, uh, the standard manuals have lists of what the different prefixes mean. I'm not going to go through all of them, I'll just mention a few. There's one that refers to fire, um, it's pronounced dih. There's another one pronounced dih. Which goes into a different slot and means it, it's an aspectual prefix, it means the inceptive. Um, a prefix marking destruction is pronounced si, um, and one example verb is soche, uh, which means you kill it, and the si, obviously, a vowel gets lost in there. There's all sorts of fun phonetics at the boundaries of these things. Um, so these are very simple, but then there are other prefixes like ke, which marks friendly relations. There's ahi, which marks reciprocal actions, so you can get verbs like ke-ahidi, which means treat each other as relatives. And the point is ka ahi and then way at the end, ni, is the verb, and then you have marking in the middle, which has the normal sorts of uh, person marking tense and aspect stuff. So um, the point I'm trying to make is that the meaning, you have to take all of the parts together. You do not know what is being said until the verb is done. Um, there are many, 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 many of these prefixes. I have a link to a paper which lists some. Uh, one of my favorite prefixes is ya, ja, which occurs on a single verb. Um, so we have no idea what it really means. It's used with the verb to speak. So the phrase you speak, ja tri the ya part means, we don't know what it means. It means ya. Ja, the last part, trit means is the verb stem and then all the business in the middle is is other grammar like the n- marks the second person so I've a link to that there's all sorts of fun there uh one last bit of fun about the uh apachean languages and some of the other Athabaskan languages is that um, some prepositional phrases that got too close to the verb got sucked in, so you can have up to potentially three kinds of person marking in a single verb in these languages. Uh, One for some sort of appositional phrase, which will be way off at the left, and then the normal transitivity subject-object kinds of things. So, another example for distributing meaning out in funny ways occurs in the Ashininka Kampa language, which is in the Arawakan family. Uh, According to some analyses, the language has a single question word, tsika. And this is true. It has the single question word, tsika, But it's a little misleading to say that's it. It is used in constructions to say who, what, when, where, why, and all of that. But... It's not right to say that they simply have one question word that means all of these things. The default meaning of tzika is where, but all sorts of other senses, what, who, when, and so forth, are produced by combining that question word with other light verbs, some people call them auxiliary verbs, um, to produce particular meanings. So tzika always comes first, and then grammar, like a light verb, and then the rest of the clause, and there might be some relativization going on there as well. So two examples: tsika um, plus the verb tseem, which means to be, to exist, to live, or be born, creates who. tsika uh, plus the verb pite is used to specifically ask for the names of things. Pite, that's what the verb means. So they've spread out their question. I guess we would well, normally we would think of these as question words, but my point here is that they are question phrases. There's a lexeme. How do you ask when something happened? And the answer to that is you combine different elements, a question marker, tsika, which normally means where, and then the right verbal phrase. And this might seem kind of exotic, but in English, let's think about the number of ways we have to ask um, reasons. The simplest one is why, but we have lots of other ways to request the same thing. How come? Um, One of my favorite sets is What's he doing? Plus a participle phrase, and sometimes it occurs as What's he thinking? plus a participle phrase, such as, What's he thinking walking the dog at this hour? So that doesn't just ask for a reason. It adds some extra pragmatic fun, indicating, you know, exasperation or befuddlement or confusion, Uh, possibly a mark of social disapproval. All sorts of fun things can be done there. And again, it's discontinuous. We have a big complicated structure or a construction, as some linguists would call it, to mark... What most of us, especially if we're not thinking deeply about some of these questions in inventing a new language, we just think of as why. So that's all I wanted to say about those. Big lexicon heavy talk again from William, big surprise. I've got a links to two or three papers that will be on with this post to go look. Uh, I especially recommend looking at the Ashaninka. Uh, the Arawakan stuff, because that's just wonderful to have uh, one question word, basically. Uh, technically, it looks like two. When gets a funny thing, but to use a construction, a structure, rather than just words. Think about words as being different from just contiguous, lexical, phonological unities. Thank you for listening to Con ConLangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device.